Welcome back everyone to part two of Easter, Why the Cross? We trust that you had an amazing Holy Week and an encouraging Easter weekend. To get you up to speed, the team is discussing three questions revolving around the crucifixion. One, did Jesus have to be crucified? Two, is the crucifixion divine child abuse? And three, does everyone benefit from Christ's victory over death? Thank you for tuning in. Couldn't God just forgive us without requiring a sacrifice? What do you guys think? This is a good and important question, because when we start to look at a question like that, we start to realize that, that and I think bringing up the euthyphro dilemma is, is right, Steve, because what we're really getting at is the character of who God is. And by the way, this dilemma that uh, Plato uh, develops through this dialogue with Euthyphro, really, you know, that's how you split the horns of that dilemma is, is you say, well, it's actually, you know, the, you know, goodness is is actually, you know, or righteousness is coming from the character of actually who God is. And, and God is both just and God is merciful. And so, you know, it, it's kind of like this. You could ask the question, Steve, you could, you could pose this in this way. Well, would you want to live in a government or a nation, I'd say, would you want to live in a, in a country in which the government only showed forgiveness and mercy? And listen, I, I picked up the newspaper the other day and I saw the, the latest court case rulings going on in our own town. And it was funny, too, because it was sitting on the table and my son, who's only 13, picked it up and read this. And he's like, this guy got out of prison? They showed this guy mercy? And I mean, my 13-year-old was disgusted, right? We all have this, you know, moment where like in our own societies, where in fact, particularly here in Canada, where we're like, the judgments are too lenient, right? They're being too kind. But yet you could ask on the on the flip side, well, would you want to live in a country that's completely totalitarian and shows zero mercy or justice? And you're like, you know, Steve, you're probably thinking of North Korea, right? Yeah. And, and people escape from those places, right? And they risk their lives to leave those places, and for good reason. And so that leaves us in our own, you know, dilemma. Well, I want mercy, but I also want justice, and I need mercy, but we also need justice. And and what you find in the cross is that these two meet, that you have both the mercy and the justice of God in the cross, as you were talking, Andy, I started to think about myself back in Bible college and, and the way I personally perceived God. Back then, um, when I first went to Bible college, I had just come from li- trying to live it up in California, and the Lord needed to pull in the reins. And, and I remember some specific moments where I would be sitting in chapel or I'd be sitting listening to a teacher and just being crushed by the weight of my sin. Just crushed just feeling every weight of it and i you know I, I i'm not someone who just if i'm gonna cry i cry for a reason you know and it's not this like i'm stoic i'm just i like i'm a as much as i'm a sensitive guy it's still like if i'm crying it's like oh man he's feeling it and so i'm just sitting in chapel weeping and the words that came out of my mouth shocked some of the friends around me because what i said was man i am not worthy of all of that. And I think it had some, it, something to do with the crucifixion. Why would you go and do that for me? And how do you know this is going to work? I'm here now. I'm listening now. I'm learning now. 
And I think this is like, uh, you know, the, the, the scandal of the song Reckless Love, where a lot of people didn't understand what he was trying to get at. It was this this looking at it from a human's perspective to me in that moment of like, God, you're reckless. Like why on earth would you come to, why would you come and die for me in that I might be saved? You went through all of that and that I might be saved. And, and it was this wrestle I had within me because I had started looking at God from that point of my life as this very like, overbearing like man wrath and judgment are coming you know and which is true but mercy and love is also here and coming and i wasn't looking at it from that lens and i think sometimes when we ask this question of is this child abuse is did it have to be that way we're looking at it through the lens of am i worth it because i don't think i'm worth all that which i know is not the truth Yeah, no, that's such a good point, because a lot of the times when we are asking questions about atonement and sin and those kinds of things, we get tripped up because we have a diminished view of sin. I mean, especially in Christian circles, we—well, maybe not in Christian circles. I I find this to be the case um, outside of the church, actually, when people hear sin, it just doesn't mean the same thing anymore. And and to a great extent, it that has kind of crept into the church, too, where people hear the word sin, and people just think in terms of the wrong things that you do. And typically, when they think of the wrong things that you do, um, they, they have a diminished view of these things. Say, adultery, for example. It doesn't bring the same kind of moral repulsion, like if that's even a word, like it used to. Um, I know uh, in various parts of the world, uh, you know, countries have laws against adultery because they think it's that serious. Korea was one of the last countries to abolish the adultery law a number of years ago um, because they said it was unenforceable and, and whatever. However you want to look at it, the reality is with that law being abolished, now people have taken on a different view of adultery. All that to say, we have a diminished view of our own sin, and so we don't truly appreciate what it is that Jesus has done for us on the cross, and we end up calling it child abuse and all that kind of stuff. This is a challenge that we have where we don't, going off of what you're saying here, that we don't fully appreciate our level of brokenness. We don't appreciate that you and I are deserving of God's judgment. We tend to have a view of ourselves where we're good, where we're basically good people. But the idea that you see throughout the Bible, right, from beginning to end, is that you're not. And although you would like to think that you're faithful and that you're good, you know, you're actually broken and unfaithful, and you will do horrible evil acts. And I mean, and, and that, is, that is a reality. And when we look at history, it's sometimes shocking to us to see what people have done, but it can be even more shocking to realize that you're capable of those things. And yet on the flip side, God is good and he's faithful and he's loving. And I think, Troy, what you were saying is absolutely right. And that is the power of the gospels where we have this moment and moments where we go, man, am I broken? Man, God, are you good? 
why do you love me so much? I mean, the other day I'm praying, I'm, I'm driving along and I'm praying and it just, I'm just, I had one of those cry moments, Troy, <laughs> where my, my eyes are walling behind up. The wheel. Yeah, behind the wheel, right, man, where I'm like wiping the tears. <laughs> and because I was just thinking about that God loves me, mm-hmm. that God loves me. I mean, sometimes maybe listener, you just need to just take a moment and think about that. The God of the universe, the creator of everything loves you. And like you were saying, that song, it was a reckless love yeah, and his willingness to come and die for you. Guys, this leads to our last question then, that we need to wrap this whole thing up. And that is, does everyone benefit from Christ's victory over death? Because, Troy, that that is uh, an aspect of what you were saying there when you said that this idea that Jesus, that, you know, that God would love me, you know, that Jesus would die for me, and I still might not choose it. I think that's what you were getting at when, yeah. when you were talking there. But some would say, well, in the same way that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, all have sinned, right? We were all born into the captivity of sin. Well, then they would say, well, in the same way that Jesus, the second Adam, and his victory over death we have all been freed mm-hmm. from sin. And that has led to a view called universalism, this idea that the benefit of the atonement is applied to everybody, right, um, regardless. And so some church fathers have gone so far as to say that even Satan will be, in the end, redeemed. That was Oregon. Right, like that's what he believed. That hasn't been the sort of the majority view uh, throughout church history. The predominant view has always been, yes, God judges and He does so justly. Some people would would argue, you know, for in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And what they take that to mean is everybody is going to be saved. But I think, I I find it difficult to hold to that view in light of passages like, you know, uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats, where the sheep are invited into eternal life and the goats uh, are, they're expelled, right? They're banished into, you know, um, from God's presence for, for all eternity. I think there is a key assumption that a lot of people have, and Andy always brings this up, and that is that people assume that everybody wants to be with God, right? And we're not convinced that that's true. Now, I've mentioned this book many times before, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, and it's a very uh, interesting picture of the dynamics between heaven and hell. And basically the story is there's a group of people from hell coming to the gates of heaven on something of a tour. But what's fascinating is, you know, C.S. Lewis kind of uses each person from hell as a a kind of a different type of people. Some people are very entitled. uh, Other people, you know, they they know everything and, and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, what happens is each person willingly gets back up on the bus to go back to hell. And so the idea is that the door to hell is locked from the inside and that not everybody can handle heaven, Mm. right? Not everybody wants to be with God and not everybody can handle heaven, but because to 
be in God's presence, there are things you have to lay down. And if you don't lay those things down, God is going to hand you over to your own twisted desires. Yeah. Right. And and that's going to create hell for you. It's important not to over oversimplify. We just very quickly and naturally want to be like, man, everyone, ah, everybody. And it's just like forgetting that as much as it's it's this idea of access is you have access. Christ's death gave you access, but whether or not you want to reap the benefit of that access, which is ultimately, it's not the blessings, it's not a, a cushy lifestyle, it's oneness with a father who loves you in an identity in Christ. Those who desire that, like you said, you, you, you are going to have to make that decision. And I believe that you know, we are compelled to make that decision. We're constantly being compelled to make that decision, to make that choice. But at the end of the day, you know, it, we're not a bunch of robots. And it's interesting because I, I can't help but think that Lewis was inspired by Luke chapter 16, where Jesus tells uh, a story with regards to this rich man that that goes to hell, right? And he has five brothers and he, wants to warn them and and it's this idea well you know they they're not going to they're like even if somebody comes back from the dead they're not going to listen to him uh you can you can read this passage but again it's this idea that people people aren't robots and they're going to make decisions about whether or not they're going to uh place their their trust in, in Jesus or not the the idea that we need to keep center focus in all of this, when we talk about, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection, is that all of all of the imagery that's being described is about reconciliation. It's about this idea of our relationship, which was broken through sin and evil, and that through Jesus it can be reconciled. Our relationship with God can be made right, and and that, and so in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jesus' sacrifice is for everyone, but yet they need to receive that and come back into reconciliation or right relationship with God. And and I can't help but think, guys, that this is an important aspect just to—I just want to just mention real quick for our listeners— that you need to appreciate that the Bible, whether this be the disciples or Jesus, use lots and lots of illustrations to describe this. Like Now, we've been just looking at a few. We've talked about redemption. We've talked about propitiation, atonement. But there are many others that we could talk about. We could talk about uh, justification. This is more of a legal way. By the way, a redemption is more of, of a slave uh, idea of buying somebody out of slavery. But we also have the idea of ransoming somebody. Now, I'll give you some verses for these two, just just so you can look them up, listener, if you want to. So redemption, look at Ephesians 1.7, propitiation, atonement, 1 John 2.2, justifications, Romans 3.28, ransom, Mark 10.45. But then you have this idea of perfection or this idea of fulfilling the purpose that we were created for, Ephesians 4.13, Colossians 1.28, the idea of being renewed image bearers, Colossians 3.9 to 11, suffering servant, the fulfillment of 
the OT in this way, you know, Isaiah 53, Matthew 8, 17, the idea that Jesus is the great physician, Matthew 9, 12 to 13, that Jesus is the logos or the meaning of all of this, John 1, 1, uh, the idea of torment, torture, or hell, or judgment, Matthew 25, 46, or there's a great chasm between us and God, Luke 16, 26. The idea that we're being invited to a wedding feast, this idea of an invitation, Matthew 22. The idea of treasure, of a pearl of great price, Matthew 13, 44. The idea of a flourishing life, the abundant life, as Jesus calls it, Matthew 10, 10. The idea of a shepherd and lost sheep, Luke 15. The idea, again, of judgment, 2 Corinthians 5 to 10, or Matthew 12 to 36. The idea that Jesus is a door, that he opens to all that knock, Matthew 7, 7, Revelation 3.20. The idea of a landlord, Matthew 21 to 16. The idea of farming, wheat, mustard seeds, and seeds on the road, Luke 13. The idea of construction. Uh, building on the rock versus sand, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. The idea of fishing, Luke uh, 13, 47 to 52. The idea of clothing. Uh, I, I thought that's, isn't that interesting? That even the idea of clothing and putting on the righteousness of, of Christ. Putting on righteousness. Yeah, and, and uh, the new, putting on the new man, Romans 13, 14. The idea of money. Luke 15, 8 to 10, the idea of relationship, particularly father and son. Luke 15, 11 to 32, the idea of Christus Victor defeating death. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 mm-hmm. to 57. Now, listen, I know that was a bombardment of analogies <laughs> and verses, and I could have gone through many more. My point in that is the Bible, and particularly Jesus, uses lots of illustrations, lots of examples, and notice how many of them are everyday life examples, from fishing, construction, to farming, mm-hmm. all of which are pointing back at the same idea as propitiation, redemption, atonement, idea of reconciliation. He comes at it from a variety of different perspectives that people can understand that your relationship with God is broken, but Jesus has come to mend it. And to do so requires the work of God. And this is, this is the part that I love about Easter that I think we often forget. And that is, we started this podcast by talking that Jesus was crucified because of blasphemy. But we celebrate, right? Easter, we celebrate not that he was crucified, not that he was murdered for claiming to be God, but that three days later, he demonstrated that it was true that he was who he was claiming to be, the author of life, as we're told in Acts, and that he came back from the dead demonstrating that he, in fact, was blaspheming, uh, but he alone can actually do that, because uh, he is God in the flesh and was able to do what he came to accomplish, and that is to reconcile our relationship with God. Yeah. And this, this changed their lives, didn't it, guys? Yeah. Like, yeah. they witnessed him die for claiming to be God, and they saw that instead of God, you know, leaving Jesus in the grave, which you would do with somebody that's blaspheming and, and it's not true, right? Uh, instead, though, God says, puts a stamp of approval on us and says, mm-hmm. that's correct. Now, this is where 
the ball is in your court, our listeners. Now, for those of you who don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, um, this is what—I mean, if you've been around Christians, especially evangelical Christians for any number of— any amount of time, you probably heard John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, what what I love about that verse is, for one, it's whoever believes in him, right? It can be you. It can be me. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It can be anyone, whoever. If you think, you know, man, I'm, I've am done so many evil things in my life, God could not possibly forgive me. I, I say this with all the love that I can muster in my heart. Get over yourself. God is bigger than that, right? Whoever. Now, and here's the part. It's not just like, it's not like God just unilaterally applies this atonement, whether you like it or not. This is an invitation. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So you do have that choice of saying yes to Jesus today, right? What better time than now? Today, say yes to Jesus and see what God does with your life. It's going to be wild. Jesus has defeated Mm. Satan. Jesus has defeated the powers of darkness. You no longer need to be a slave to sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you are no longer in exile, but just like the Israelites, you can choose to walk in faith as Christ leads you to freedom. But, but that's your choice. And that's, that's the challenge in all of this, I think. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for part one and part two of our episode titled Easter, Why the Cross? During this Easter season, we encourage you to really think and meditate on the crucifixion and the resurrection story and allow the Lord to breathe fresh understanding of what that means for your life. Whether you would consider yourself in a relationship with Jesus currently or someone shared this podcast with you and you're hearing it for the first time, we want you to know that you are loved and cherished by God with the same magnitude that he used to create the heavens and the earth. His victory over sin and death is an invitation to your freedom. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. We at Apologetics Canada believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the only way, the truth and the life. And we invite you whenever and wherever you're hearing this podcast to make that decision today. If something we've said has resonated with you and led you to make that decision to accept Jesus as the Lord of your life, reach out to us at apologeticscanada.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, God bless, happy Easter, and as always, love God and love people.